Let's pray. Let's turn to God in prayer. Father God, we thank you for our world full of so many wonderful sounds. For the sounds of children laughing, of babies crying, friends talking. The sound of birds singing, of musicians playing. The sound of wind blowing in the trees, waves crashing on the seashore. The sound of everyday life in a busy street. And we thank you too that you're a God who communicates with us. You speak in the midst of our ordinary lives. You speak when we come to you in prayer. You speak through your word. Father God, we confess that we're not great at listening. Our minds are so often full of our own ideas, our own plans our own concerns. But we want to be wise people. We want to be discerning people. We want to be people who understand the things of God. So open our ears and our hearts and our lives to your word now. Help us to hear what you wish to say and help that message to penetrate deep within our hearts and our lives so that we might become people whose who are shaped by your word. People who are shaped in the image of Jesus, your living word. In whose name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been signed up for anything without your permission? Maybe your spouse signed you up to help at the children's weekend away uh, to, to camp on a floor with goodness knows how many children. Uh, or to face painting at the school fair or, well, I'm sure you can give your own examples of when, uh, when the person sitting next to you has, has signed you up for something and you know you get later. By the way, I meant to tell you something. <laughs> Been there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got a confession to make. Uh, I've done that this morning for all of us. Uh, I've signed us up for this exciting project. More like a conspiracy, actually. There are all sorts of conspiracy theories around at the minute uh, in the political scene here in, in America. Uh, many of them seem to involve Russia uh, in, in, one, in one means or another. And time, time will tell whether, whether there's anything any of them or not. We don't know at the minute. But, but this one isn't a, isn't a theory. Uh, and when I say I signed you up, you kind of agreed. You kind of agreed, all of you. Uh, you give me some very quizzical looks here, wondering what, 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 what I've done and what, what, you've, what you've got yourself into. Uh, well, you know they say, be careful of the small print. Uh, there's, there's a little word that we all said earlier that, well, it's kind of a bit like small print. Amen. Uh, when we said that at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, amen. Amen's a great word. Uh, you've known me long enough now to know that I'm, I'm fascinated by words. Uh, uh, and amen has a very interesting history. It's a word that came to the English from the Latin, which got it from the Greek, which got it from the Aramaic, although other scholars would say that the Hebrew got there first. Uh, we're not quite sure. So it's, it's a word that's been through multiple languages. Uh, and there are various reasons why words cross languages, generally because they're hard to, they're hard to translate exactly. Uh, sometimes it's because they're technical words. Uh, the word omelette. 
uh, refers to a particular type of egg dish that emerged in Parisian cuisine in uh, sometime in the 18th century, I think, but, but sort of crossed over. So now we say omelette and we know, we know what we think about, don't we? But can you imagine trying to uh, describe an omelette without using the word omelette? Well, this is sort of... It depends how you make it, really, but this sort of eggy thing that's maybe got onions in it or cheese. I like mine with cheese, and uh, yeah, you get the picture. Uh, amen is a difficult to translate word. It's, uh, in a sense, it's a word that enables us to say yes, to consent to, to affirm what we've, what we've just heard. Uh, does anyone know Battlestar Galactica? The, the, the new one, not the old one. Uh, there was, when I say new, it's about 20 years, I'm showing my age, it's about, about 20 years old. But, but, but the story is that the human race has been largely destroyed and there's this remnant who are looking for a safe play, place, looking for home, led by the crew of the Battlestar Galactica. And, and they have this, uh, when they have these ceremonial occasions, uh, sometimes a funeral, but other times when they get the whole community together. They have a saying, uh, which they say at the end, so say we all. Uh, and that's the saying, that's the saying they say. Uh, uh, that's, that's a bit like amen. Because, because in, that, in that sort of story, when, when the crew say these words, they're generally committing themselves to doing something. Uh, they're not just saying, yes, I agree. They're, they're, they're committing themselves to do something. And our men's a bit like that. It's not just about saying, I agree. But Colin was reminding us of this last week when he, when he led the prayers. That, in a sense, when we pray for something, we offer ourselves as the means whereby God may answer that prayer. So when we, when we say, amen, it's a kind of, off, we're offering ourselves to say, Lord, I really want this to happen. Uh, and if you want to use me, I'm, I'm up for it. Uh, I'm there. I'm there. So that that that's sort of that's sort of what Amen means, really. It's it's much bigger than sort of yes or the word we use to finish a prayer because we need a word to say that the prayer's finished. Uh, sometimes it feels a bit like Amen. We know we know when somebody says Amen, they finish praying. Uh, sometimes we breathe a sigh of relief, but but <laughs> probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> when I finish praying, <laughs> you probably all say, "Oh, thank goodness he's yeah." Anyway. It's more than that. It's this, yes, we agree. Yes, we affirm. Yes, we're up to it. And we just all prayed. There you go. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we all said, yes, Lord, we're, we're up for that. We're up for being the answer of our own prayer, of being part of the means by which your, your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. We've, if you like, signed up for what, uh, what Brian McLaren, who sort of provided a guide for our series, calls the spirit conspiracy. I said it was a conspiracy. A uh, guy called Tom Sign, writing many years ago, talked about the mustard seed conspiracy. Or Dallas Willard called the divine conspiracy. And that was his book. That, has anyone read that, The Divine Conspiracy? Great book. Uh, well worth reading. 440 pages of spiritual treasure. And if you're looking for, if you're looking for something to take away with you on holiday, uh, a great book about God's conspiracy, if you like, to heal and redeem and bring life in this hurting and, and broken world and, and, what that, and what that looks like. Uh, it's a bit older book now. I think it's about, it was sometime in the 80s. Uh, a little bit dated, but, but still describing God's means of action in the world in terms of that, that image 
from that parable of the mustard seed, this, this little seed growing into an enormous, it says tree, but it's more like a bush, enormous bush. Actually, that's what you need to know about the mustard seed. It was a weed. Not a beautiful flower, it was a weed. Uh, I guess the ancient equivalent of bindweed. Anyone got bindweed in their garden? It's a flipping nuisance, isn't it? Well, mustard seed was like, mustard was like that. Uh, in many places in Jesus' time, you were banned from planting mustard seeds because they just got everywhere. Slowly but surely, they'd, they'd, they'd overtake. You'd have this nice manicured garden. Well, you probably wouldn't have it in those days. But that, that's the image. Your nice manicured garden, and then suddenly this, this weed appears. And you, you get rid of the weed, and then it appears somewhere else. You, you know the picture. That's what, that's what the mustard seed was like. Just couldn't get rid of it. Just kept, kept appearing, kept taking over. Jesus says the kingdom of God's a bit like that. And the spirit conspiracy, recognizing that it's all about God. It's God's idea, God's initiative, God's work, God's kingdom, which we, by the Holy Spirit, get caught up in. But it's never about us about who we are, about what we are. It's always about him, about God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in that second book, that Tom Simon book, he, he makes the observation that, or asks the question, is God's eternal plan any different from his plan for now? Do God's purposes change in the world or God's intentions for the world here and now. God's desire for how we live now. Are they any different for God's desire for how we will one day, one day live? And he says, no, they're not. God's plans don't change. God's purposes don't change. God's concerns don't change. So why we pray that? Thy kingdom come on earth. As it's in heaven, your will be done here and now. Not just someday, some way off. In the future here and now in this little corner of Seven Oaks. How, how might I, how might we be heaven's presence at work, in school, at church, in the workplace, in the community? How might we be a community who, by our presence and action in the world, are part of that conspiracy that divine conspiracy to turn the world upside down or right side up, depending on which way you look at it. Are we that sort of people? I am. I'm up for it. Are you up for it? Being that, that sort of people. But of course, what does that look like? What does that look like in practice? How does, how does that play out in reality? Uh, one of the reasons I chose all those readings is they give us lots of little glimpses Lots of little snapshots uh, of something of what that conspiracy looks like. Part of the bigger picture, they're only a part, they're only a glimpse, but they're, they're part of that. So a quick whistle, top, whistle stop tour in about 10 minutes. From Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek or gentle, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Or if Paul was writing today, 
writing to the church in Northern Ireland, he might say there is no Catholic or, or Protestant, for you are one in Christ Jesus. If he was writing to the church in the Holy Land, maybe there's no longer Jew or Palestinian, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Or in Britain, I don't know, maybe there is no Brexiteer or Ramona, to use those horrible terms. You're all one in Christ Jesus. No male or female, no Brit or immigrant. No straight or gay. No CEO or cleaner. Which is maybe the nearest we can get to slave and free. You're all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, all those labels, all those ways of defining people, all those so frequently causes of division come under the judgment of God. They cease to have any power. The church is to be an embassy of the kingdom where our faith in Jesus Christ unites us above any of those ways the world would seek to divide us. Amen? So say we all. We do live in a time of great division, of scapegoating, of tribalism even. But in God's kingdom, there is no us and them. And the spirit compels us to look beyond the labels and to see people as individuals made in the image of God, precious to him. And I guess there's a gospel and there's a missional imperative to, to witness against the ways the world divides people, the way, the way the world scapegoats people, the way the world puts people in boxes, the way the world tells us that they are the enemy because they're different. It's not politics, it's gospel. We are one in Christ Jesus. And so to Ephesians, uh, this was one of the set texts. I was so glad when this came up. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. In a sense, there's nothing new there. That's what wives in Jesus' time were expected to do. After all, wives were, wives were chattel. They were their husband's possession. And then this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In Paul's culture, that was like lighting a stick of dynamite. Might not sound like it to us. Uh, husbands, your wife is not your property. Your wife is not inferior to you. Instead of taking, your job is to give, to support, to encourage to stand with, to stand alongside, to give dignity to the other, to give dignity to your wife. A partnership, genuine partnership between husbands and, and wives. I don't think we can even begin to understand how radical that was within that culture. Conspiracy to transform marriage. That's what Paul was launching and the key verse in that whole passage, the start point, the point that defines everything else in that, in, in five and six, Ephesians 5 and 6, really, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ.
That's the bottom line for Paul in all of our relationships. Mutual submission, mutual respect. You are not superior because of your sex, your nationality, your education, your income. And if you look down on anyone, you're quenching the spirit. That's what Paul's saying, submit to one another. Radical stuff, isn't it? Still radical stuff. 2,000 years later, life in the spirit is not about asserting our will, our power, our agenda. The spirit humbles us so that we can lift others up. Maybe if you remember anything from today, the spirit humbles us so that we can lift others up. And then this one. Parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There's a saying, isn't it? Parents, do your kids get exasperated with you? <laughs> yep. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> we're, in that, we're still in that section about mutual submission. And now Paul's thinking about how that plays out in a family context. And again, I can, I can only just begin to give some hints. Uh, Maybe it begins with us parents actually listening to our kids. Listening to their fears, to their worries, to their hopes, to their dreams. Uh, to how they're getting on. And maybe owning up when we mess up. And apologizing when we get cross unjustly or we behave unfairly. I'm speaking to myself here. Apparently I do that a lot, I behave unfairly. Noah tells me so. I'm unfair most of the time, actually, but, <laughs> but some of the time I am. Actually, some of the time I am. Some of the time I get it wrong. And, uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, there's, there is a place for parents to apologize when they, when they get it wrong. But perhaps also there's a, a lesson here for relationship between the ages, between different age groups. In God's kingdom, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. Nor is there any octogenarian or teenager. Any octogenarians here? That's people in their 80s. few of us. I believe that the church is meant to be a place where intergenerational friendships thrive. Where we learn to know and to love across the age barrier. Uh, when we learn to appreciate the gifts and the skills of the whole community. Uh, Young people benefit from that. Older folk benefit from that as well. But it's also a demonstration of the gospel that unites old and young and through which the spirit conspires against the fracturing we see all around us. Incidentally, let's also be aware of anything that either disparages older folk or, or younger folk. The youth of today. I googled that term. Uh, and the, uh, the top article was from the Daily Telegraph entitled, Why are the youth of today so rude? That's the, f that's, that's the first hit uh, about, about the youth. So the first thing we learn is that the youth of today are rude. Um, and then I discovered this quote from a, from a sermon. Uh, you might be able to see it. The world is passing through troublesome times. The young people of today think nothing but of themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They're impatient of all restraint. They talk as if they knew everything, and what passes for wisdom with us is foolishness to them. 
As for the girls, they are forward, immodest, and unladylike in speech, behavior, and dress. Have a guess when that was preached, that sermon. 1950s, Victorian times, 1124. (laughs) By Peter the Hermit. (laughs) Didn't like kids very much. Nothing changes, does it? And our parents probably said the same thing about us. It's easy to disparage uh, young people, to put them in an amorphous group. The young people of today are like this. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, was walking down a thin path, and there was a a mixed-age group of people coming towards me. Uh, So I stopped, I moved aside, I let them pass. Not one adult said thank you, but a number of the children did. Yes, there are youngsters who behave badly, there are some pretty poor role models around. This is Noah's sports day. Uh, Noah is not an athlete. Uh, and uh, this is a race which is about, it's a kilometer, just over a kilometer, which is a bit long for him. And uh, I fully expected that what would happen is that everyone would race off and Noah would lag behind, gradually getting further and further behind as, as the race went on. Uh, I knew he wouldn't be last because I knew that two or three, two or three kids would drop out, and, but Noah would just keep plodding on plodding on until he, got to the, until he got to the end. What I didn't expect was that two members of his class would hang back uh, and would spend the whole race encouraging him on. Uh, when I was young, I would have been at the front, looking down at those at the back. Uh, well, today's young people are obviously better than I was. Something of the Holy Spirit conspiring against our winner-take-all society, our survival of the fittest society, our society where you're just in it for yourself. Two young boys hanging back and encouraging their friend, encouraging their colleague. Something of the kingdom there. Something of what the kingdom looks like. Time is conspiring. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about that James passage. Uh, but I wonder, how our, I wonder how our patterns of employment, uh, remuneration, the way we do business, might change if we were driven by mutual submission. I'm going to say, just think about that. But then at the end in Hebrews, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. And the word there would have been, would have been read as the word foreigners, not just, or including, let's say, foreigners, not just foreigners. For, doing, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Who are the strangers today? The person who is different from us. The outsider, the person maybe with a different skin color, or a different faith, or a different language. And when the world says you're not welcome, the Spirit says come. If you look on our church website, there's a, there's a short video where Charlie introduces the, the church. Uh, and towards the end, he, say, he says these words. He says, there is a place here for you. In God's kingdom, there is an invitation for all of us. And for those who are different from us. For all people. And xenophobia is a constant danger for God's people. The, the fear of the one who is different. Of the outsider. 
of the one who is maybe perceived as a threat. And history is littered with politicians, with media who, who nurture those fears, who play on those fears. But if you look at scripture time and time again, I guess because it's such a constant temptation, time and time again there is instruction on welcoming the stranger, welcoming the outsider, welcoming the alien, welcoming the visitor. Why? Because the Spirit's only interest, this is the Berlin Wall coming, beginning to come down. The Spirit's only interest in the walls that we build up is how to demolish them. And maybe that starts with the walls we build up in our own hearts. The Spirit's only interest is how can I remove the dividing wall? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The divine conspiracy, the mustard seed conspiracy, the, the spirit conspiracy. It's what we see going on in hospices of hope. What was that vision to transform dying in Eastern Europe? What a wonderful vision. That's the spirit at work. That's kingdom about to transform the world, the mustard seed, to change the world the way the way the world sees things, to change the way the dying are treated. And there's probably issues for us here in our culture. The spirit conspiracy, the one we live out every time we donate food to Hungry Harry, or give our time to save an Oaks Welcomes refugees, as some folks here do, or to giving debt advice, or getting involved with befrienders, or helping to feed a bunch of seniors, or working with our young people, or seeking to bless Dunton Green, or simply making friends with someone you have nothing in common with, someone who's a bit of an outsider, or getting into the habit of sharing your faith simply with your, with your friends, with your colleagues. The spirit conspiracy to get us to simply devote our lives to lifting other people up rather than lifting ourselves up. Particularly the weak, particularly the hurting. Are you up for that? Do you want to be part of that? Can you volunteer for that? Amen. Amen. So say we all.